0: Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, amen. It is really staggering to me how much people are willing to pay for a special dinner. A thousand dollars for a dinner is no problem at all for some people. They can easily afford it. Twenty-five thousand dollars? People are willing and able to pay that as well without causing a dent. their wealth. And that is just for dinner for one person. But at such a cost, you know the payer is going to be in the presence of a very important person. This person is going to a dinner seat. But if you double this amount, you could meet with a presidential candidate and take pictures as well. Obviously, very, very few people will even get invited to such dinners. These dinners are like a distinction between the haves and the half-mores, as a former presidential candidate once said. However, if five figures is way too steep, supporters can attend the after-dinner reception for a paltry $2,700. These numbers are from a couple of years ago, so it could conceivably be $100,000 today to have a dinner and snap pictures with a presidential candidate. It is estimated that the 2020 presidential election cycle cost $14.1 billion. Without a doubt, money is crucial in politics and is getting more and more so with every election cycle. Although the one with the most money does not always win the presidential election, we can say that the election is about money. Many have ended their campaigns because they could not raise enough money. It is true, money cannot buy you everything, but money can buy you a lot of things, including influence and access to important people. In our world today, we know that nothing is free to the extent that if someone offers you something for free, you can become suspicious, wondering where the catch is. Sometimes, even when you receive a gift, you might think about how you can pay back in some way. This money business has been around for a very long time. Almost 3,000 years ago, Isaiah the prophet recognized the importance of money. He recognized that a lack of money would prevent a lot of people from feeding themselves, and they were worried about it. You can tell that by how he tells his hearers to come and buy food for free. He even calls them to come and buy what might be considered luxury, wine, for free. Even at that time, it seems, the expression, there is no free lunch, held true. Most people in America today can afford to buy food for themselves. But there are some who simply can't. No matter how cheap the cost of food might be, they simply can't afford it. Free lunch is the only way they will survive. Isaiah knew that no free lunch is the way of the world. But here in our reading for today, he is speaking about the way of God. The way of God is different from our way, and it is better by far. In the way of God, there is free lunch, absolutely free lunch for everybody. Isaiah speaks in a way that seems contradictory, but it is the truth. It is the truth of God. It is about God's grace and love. It is free for everybody. Through Isaiah, God speaks urgently to the Israelites in exile. Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come buy and eat come buy wine and milk without money and without cost in other words come it's free imagine you are the one who is struggling to buy food and now you are hearing the invitation to you to come and buy food without money and the way isaiah is framing it you can think about what he is urging the people to come and buy with the kind of fare you would enjoy if you could afford to go to one of those presidential campaign dinners. Isaiah was writing to the exiles in Babylon. Now even though he's writing this as if the Jews were already in exile in Babylon, they actually were not. This was seeing the future as if it was present. It was the presence of the future. He was seeing what was ahead long after his time He knew, according to God's revelation to him, that there would come a time when, as a result of Israel's disobedience, they would be conquered by Babylon and carted off into exile there, and they would spend decades there. From the time they are forced into exile, they would long to go back to Jerusalem, but it would seem as if that would never happen. They would feel dejected and rejected. They would have no hope of ever returning to their homeland. While they were in exile, they would think about Jerusalem constantly, at least the first generation would. As anyone who is shipped off by force into a foreign country would tell you, they would yearn to return to their own country. But that would seem like a remote possibility. It's like when you have a beautiful dream, that seemed very real, only to wake up and realize that it was all, well, just a dream. And as happens sometimes when you have a beautiful dream, you feel disappointed when you realize that it was only a dream. In the first few moments of your waking up, you might want the dream to continue. But soon, reality hits you. It's not going to happen. In the time after Isaiah, when the Jews were exiles in Babylon, we capture a little bit of how they were feeling there. In Psalm 137, we read some of what they said. By the rivers of Babylon, we sat down and wept when we remembered Zion. There on the willows, we hung our harps, for there our captors asked of us songs, our tormentors demanded songs of joy. They said, sing us one of the songs of Zion. How can we sing the songs of the Lord while in a strange land? If I forget you, O Jerusalem, may my right hand forget its skill. May my tongue cling to the roof of my mouth if I do not remember you, if I do not consider Jerusalem my highest joy." They yearned to be free. The reason they would end up in exile was because of their persistent disobedience of God in going after other gods of their neighbors, gods who were no gods at all but idols. These false gods had nothing for them, for they could not, since they were idols fashioned by human hands. Their worshippers sacrificed to them, sometimes their own children. And surprisingly, the Israelites, whose God is Yahweh, the only true God, joined them. They looked to their own interests, not caring about the needs of their neighbors. They did not heed the words of the prophets that God sent to them. Sometimes they mocked them, treated them harshly, and even killed some of them. And they felt good about doing it. They had no regrets. Repentance became a meaningless word for them. They only went through the motions and sacrificed animals to appease God, but their hearts were far away from God. They had become God's people, not because they had some special qualities that other peoples did not have, but because of God's own gracious love and actions and His promise to Abraham. God had directed them how to live as His people but they had taken his choice for them for granted and lived to please themselves. They rejected God by their actions. Those Israelites of old, how ungrateful they were. Such a thought might go through our minds when we read about them and how rebellious they became. It is easy for us to read about them in the Bible and all that God did for them, especially delivering them from slavery in Egypt, taking them across the Red Sea on dry ground, and settling them in the promised land of Canaan. They deserve to be in exile, we might think. Did you think about who else God has chosen and made his own? He has chosen you. Not because of any special qualities you have, not because you deserve to be chosen by Him, not because you are better than other people who are not Christians. He has chosen you because of His gracious love and actions and promises. He has chosen you the same way He chooses anybody anywhere. He has chosen you out of His own volition. He has chosen you out of His love and His desire to make you His people. And He has shown you how to live. He has not hidden anything from you if you are not sure Think about the Ten Commandments, and if you can't remember all of them, reduce them to two. Love the Lord your God with everything you've got, and love your neighbor as yourself. It is simple, but is it hard to do? I don't know what your answer will be, but I think I will answer for you and say, yes, it is hard. Why is that hard? Just loving God and loving your neighbor. I believe you know the answer but I will still answer that for you as well. God wants us to love him perfectly and to love our neighbor perfectly. I know me, and I know that I do not love God perfectly, nor my neighbor perfectly. I try, but trying doesn't cut it. In that sense, I think I know you too. You know you do not love God perfectly, and you do not love your neighbor perfectly. Maybe you do not agree, but I kind of doubt it. If God were to decide that something terrible should happen to us because of our imperfect love for him and for our neighbor, he would be justified. But he has decided not to do that. Instead, he invites us urgently. What he said to the Israelites of old, he says to us, come, buy the best, buy wine and milk, Buy the best of the best for free. Come, it is free. What can you buy without money from God? Nothing. You cannot buy anything from God. Still, he invites you to come and buy. Come, it is free. Actually, it is priceless. What he is offering is more precious than anything we can imagine. Isaiah writes, Why spend money? on what is not bread, and your labor on what does not satisfy. Listen. Listen to me, and eat what is good, and your soul will delight in the riches of fare. Give ear, and come to me. Hear me, that your soul may live. I will make an everlasting covenant with you, my faithful love promised to David." God is persistent in his love for you. He is encouraging and persuading you to come and feast on what he has prepared for you. He does not want you to miss out on what he has prepared for you. What God has prepared for you is life eternal. He has done that through the promise he made to David. That promise is about David's greatest son, Jesus Christ, who has prepared and opened the way for you to come in for free. He is inviting you to come in to sit close to him By your own actions, you are not worthy to come in, but by his gracious work, he has made you worthy, and it is free for you. He, the only true son of God from eternity, who has always existed, condescended to become a human being like us. He, who is perfect in every way, took our imperfection upon himself. He took our sins upon himself and suffered the consequences that we deserve upon himself. He took our curse upon himself and became the curse because he was hanged on the tree, the cross. For God says, curse is everyone who is hanged on the tree. The weight of the sin of the whole world weighed heavily on him on the cross, and he died. He knew very well that that would happen to him. He knew it was not going to be a painless death, but he went through with it. Why? Because he loved you before you were even born. He died on that cross and was taken down by two people who were not even part of his original 12 disciples. They buried him like they would bury any other human being. But that was not the end of him, because he came to defeat death. That enemy, that strikes every human being. He rose again from the dead. He gave that resurrection victory to you freely. There was no work on your part, no payment on your part. Oh yes, you will die. I will die too. It's just a question of when. But because of him, you will rise again and live with him forever. It does not cost you a thing. He has invited you. You have heeded his invitation. You have come. You are here. Stay with him. Listen to him alone. Let his words through the prophet Isaiah remain in your heart and replay in your head. Let your eternal hunger and thirst be satisfied by him. Here is invitation again. Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Come, it is free and it is for you. Amén.